Hi, I'm Patricia Grabarek. And I'm Katina Sawyer, and welcome to the Worker Being Podcast. So today, we are so excited to be joined by the author and the illustrator of My Mommy is an Organizational Psychologist. It's a really great book we'll talk all about. Um, so first, let me introduce who these two individuals are. We've got Sevelyn Crosby. She's the author of the book, and she's a PhD student at Claremont Graduate University. She loves sharing her passion for organizational psychology through her work as a consultant and professor. And she's particularly passionate about topics like organizational development and change, proactive behavior, leadership, and training. And then we also have Blake Beckman on the phone, and he is the illustrator of the book. He is also a PhD student in evaluation and applied research methods. He is interested in systems thinking and applying systems concepts to help understand how organizations and programs can be improved. In his late teens and early 20s, he was a touring musician, super cool, for various hard rock bands and has been making art since before he could remember. So thank you so much to both of you for being here today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, so we're really excited to kind of dive in and talk a little bit about, um, you know, you and your journey in deciding to write this book and kind of what the book is about. So uh, if you wouldn't mind sharing with our listeners uh, what you've written and uh, why you wrote it. Sure, I'd be happy to. Uh, Thank you again for having us here today. We're really excited And I guess I can start a little bit with what the book, My Mommy is an Organizational Psychologist, is. So in our children's book, we follow the character named Walter. And Walter is an elementary school student. It's career day. And his mommy is going to come and talk about the work she does. However, he's really nervous because he, like most people, don't know what an organizational psychologist actually does. Uh, What I really love about this book is as an organizational psychologist, I've gotten some odd reactions in the past when I say that that is my field of work. Most people don't really know about the field and most people don't know what we do. So a lot of the time when I say things like I'm an organizational psychologist, a lot of people ask me, oh, so you're in human resources. Oh, so you're a counselor. Um, I've gotten, the weirdest one I've gotten was, oh, so you're paid by celebrities in Los Angeles to organize their closets? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I I was like, maybe I'd make more money. I don't know. Um, But I get some (laughs) odd reactions. And I think that that's kind of what inspired this idea. However, there is a specific instance that made me want to do something about the visibility of our field. And one day I went to go visit my sister and she works at an elementary school at an after daycare program. And I happened to come on a day and it was career day. And she said, oh, it's so fantastic you're here. Can you tell the kiddos what you do for your career? And I chickened out. I have to be honest, I completely chickened out. I told her, Carmen, I can barely explain to you what I do. I really don't wanna try to tell some first graders. Um, that bothered me so much weeks after it bothered me that I didn't try to overcome that challenge that I didn't try to explain what I do because maybe it could have inspired them. And that's what led me to want to create this book and then form a partnership with Blake to help out with the illustrations. That's awesome. I think it's so important. As every listener knows, Katina and I are also organizational psychologists and 
Um, we've gotten all of those weird <laughs> reactions too. I've, I think the best is when you walk into a client meeting and introduce yourself and your background and they ask you if you're analyzing them right now. And I'm like, yes. well, sure. If you want me to be, I can pretend <laughs> I am. And I'm reading your mind at this moment, but, um, there's a lot of misconceptions around what this field is. Um, so one thing though I want to dive into is your wellness in terms of writing this book. So like, this is a great endeavor. This is so cool that you both, um, took this on and are spreading the word of the field, but you guys have a lot of stuff on your bio and your resume, your graduate students, which we know is super intense. You wrote this book and illustrated the book. You've got other projects going on. Love to hear about your wellness journey while writing the book and how you're able to balance all of those different hats. Yeah. So, I mean, being a graduate student and trying to do anything is a bit challenging. Um, you know, time is always a precious commodity. Um, I think it worked out. It worked out because the book sort of has progressed in phases where I was much more involved in the first part of it. So it was about a year and a half ago. And I just happened to be coming off of a project about the time that Sev um, contacted me. So it was, you know, keeping time open, keeping about a day a week open to work on it specifically. As I sort of got into it and it became a more <laughs> a more solitary kind of endeavor, you know, because there's a lot of a lot of sketching, a lot of, you know, redrawing things, storyboarding and, and that um, it was making sure that I was working in places where I had social connection. So I wasn't getting lonely. Um, you know, places like coffee shops and restaurants, but sort of having five or six that I would kind of rotate towards. And then one drawing in public always invites people to come and talk to you and you can sort of, you know, have small conversations, but then also developing um, acquaintanceships with people that, that work at the coffee shops and restaurants and, um, you know, just have someone that you're looking forward to seeing. Um, that's how I was able to, to maintain through the, the mud, like when it really, really got, got busy. Yeah. So for you, it sounds like it was a lot of just making sure that you were maintaining social connection. Um, that resonates with me because a lot of my job as a faculty member is research and writing mm -hmm. papers. And I find that that's also true. Um, you know, usually when I'm not in quarantine state, uh, I'll go to coffee shops or other places to write because it feels like you like can sort of vibe off the energy <laughs> a little bit of yeah. other people. Um, so that totally resonates with me. Um, I'm wondering, Sevelyn, what were some of the things that you did as you were writing the book to maintain your wellness? Yeah, I mean, it's really similar in that I, I never felt alone in the process. And I think that is a few things. One, I, Blake has been a phenomenal partner and we've been able to work well with one another. So if there were points in the project that I needed to kind of step up and take charge, I could do it. But I also knew he would step up and take charge and make things happen. And I knew I could rely on him. So I think whenever you're working with someone that you trust, um, you're able to kind of focus on the challenge and overcome it together. I think besides that, also the, the kind of resource of family and friends are really helpful. So when you're going through something stressful, or you're trying to balance multiple roles, when you know that you can call someone and sometimes you just need to vent to the person that something's not working and you have to figure out these problems and you've never done this before, just having that family member who can be there for you really makes a difference. Um, yeah, so I think just the social support, those with coworkers, but then also family and friends. 
that has been the biggest resource that I could have ever relied on. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, social connection, as Katina said, is really important. And we know that it has ties to overall wellness, um, you know, spending time with friends, family, coworkers, people at the coffee shop um, can really be a positive experience. Um, in terms of workplace wellness principles, so things in the research, what you're doing in your life, um, have you fi- found it hard to incorporate certain practices in your everyday life as you've been doing all of this or sticking to a personal wellness routine? I mean, again, you know, time is, time is always a challenge. And now, you know, quarantine has sort of made things, <laughs> resources now have become a challenge. Um, but mm-hmm. I, I think that, you know, the way that I strive to maintain wellness is, or workplace wellness is, you know, I've, I've decided to pursue this career because I, you know, I enjoy the work. I feel that it is meaningful. Um, and so I get a lot of that, you know, intrinsic reward from doing it. Um, but it's still, you know, a lot of work and, um, I find that enable to sort of maintain my energy levels and my attention levels. Cause I do, do have a little bit of ADD. Um, it's about, you know, just meeting overall, um, health principles, right? So like when, when we're not in quarantine, I, you know, I wake up every, every morning and I go to the gym and I work out and then I come home and I make sure that I have a nice, you know, nutritious breakfast. Um, and then before I sit down to actually start working, I do a, a short meditation and then when I, you know, sort of lose focus, um, I'll go for a walk and, um, engage in a additional meditation practice, uh, later on in the day. Um, and I feel that that works for me again, because the work is meaningful itself. So that if, so long as I am making progress and getting things done, I'm feeling very engaged and feeling very well. Yeah. I mean, that sounds really good. I think that you're hitting on a lot of practices that, you know, uh, it's, it's almost like you're an industrial organizational <laughs> psychologist. Um, but uh, no. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of, that's a lot of principles uh, that we talk about in the podcast um, as well in terms of mindfulness and also just ensuring that you're taking time to like set your day, like get your day set right and physical activity and all that kind of stuff um, is super helpful. So it sounds like you had sort of a process of getting yourself into the act of uh, getting ready to work or when that you generally try to um, maintain that process, which I think is great. Um, Sutherland, what kinds of things do you feel you've uh, been able to do or struggle with or what does your routine kind of look like? Yes. Um, well, I think the biggest thing for me is to focus on work-life balance. Uh, that's easier said than done. But I think one of my favorite mottos in life is work hard, play hard. So setting a time, the time to focus and put your energy into work and always making sure to set a time, like some time for friends and family and some fun. I consider myself fortunate. The company I work for that I am a consultant for, they really do prize work-life balance like I do. They're very respectful of the fact that I'm still a student working on my degree. And so I've been upfront with them about up, like how the, this work-life balance is something that I need in order to be a good worker. So something simple like that, that my company is willing to work with me on is I don't want any meetings before 8.30 a.m. because I love to go out and do a workout or go on a hike in the morning have a cup of coffee, shower, and get on the meeting. And if I can do that, I can focus and I can bring my best self to work. So I think companies that are willing to be flexible and see their employees as unique people with unique um, issues or unique uh, challenges they're facing, just unique needs in general, 
they're going to be more supportive of the well-being of their people. And I consider myself fortunate to have a company that's willing to work with me in my hours that I want to be at work. Yeah. I, th- I think what I'd add to that too is like, you know, maybe this comes from a, a position of, of privilege, but like being very clear about when, like treating your, your personal time as a non-negotiable. I know that, you know, it's really, really easy to prioritize, you know, what our boss says or, or making money. Um, and it, and it is important. Um, but our, you know, our well-being and our mental health is important too. And I think that sometimes you have to, you sort of lose sight of that and you have to remind yourself and you have to set boundaries around that time and just treat it like it's something that has to be done just the same as paying your bills. Mm-hmm. Well said. Yeah, completely agree. Um, I think it's really important too, as you mentioned, you know, coming from a place of privilege and, mm-hmm. you know, having a great company to work for. I think that's important. And obviously something that we advocate for is, you know, leaders taking this on um, to make workplace wellness an initiative and a priority with an organization so that people can have the opportunities that you're so lucky to have. And, you know, Katina and I also are so lucky to have, um, in terms of the things that you've learned though, through your wellness journey. And I know obviously that appreciation for the, the situation you're in, is there anything that you could recommend to our listeners, um, that you learned maybe the hard way or that you think that could apply to, you know, anyone in any situation that they can start to impact their own wellness, regardless of whether they're as lucky as all of us are. Yeah. I think, you know, something, maybe something that applies to all work situations or all life situations is, you know, beginning with the end in mind, um, having, having a clear idea and really sitting down and thinking about, you know, what is the goal here? What am I trying to accomplish? And then structuring your activities towards working towards that goal. Um, because I think it's so, you know, so often we just, we get work and we just do work and there's that sense that like doing things is productive and, it may make you feel productive, but it may not be productive if it's not sort of working towards a, a common end. So I think that, um, you know, when we started this project, we had a very, Seth had a very clear idea of what she was looking for. And I was able to sort of extrapolate from that and come up with like, you know, this was creating these illustrations, like a four stage process. So given the number of pages and given the number of processes, I was able to kind of, create a map and we could share and we could look at how we were making progress as we went along so that we, you know, we were both aware of, of how the, how the, uh, the book was progressing mm-hmm. and also, you know, how, how we, it also helped us kind of stay inspired. You know what I mean? It's like, Oh yeah, look at how much we've done already or look at how much more there is to do. And it also, you know, it helped us refine our goals and set more realistic goals and like being open to, a change in your goal is also important as well because, you know, sometimes reality doesn't, doesn't fit your goals. So I think uh, obviously having goals and working towards them, but then maintaining the flexibility and the reality that, you know, uh, goals and uh, plans don't always align with reality. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And yeah, if I could add on to that, I think something that I've had to learn the hard way is it is not a weakness to ask for help. So I think that we have a misconception that we have to be good at everything. We have to know how to do everything to be respected or be taken seriously. And I actually think it is a huge strength to stop and ask for help when you realize that you actually need it. I've never written a children's book before. I've never published a book before. 
I've never bought a copyright or an ISBN number. I've never built a website before. And so I had to realize that I needed to build a network. I needed to bring a team together because that isn't something I can take on all alone. And it is something I've struggled with to be able to realize that it's a strength to ask for help and not pretend like you can do it all by yourself. Yeah, I think that's super important to recognize. And I think, you know, uh, in being able to realize the full vision, but also like, you know, be able to recognize what you need to delegate. And also, as Blake mentioned, be able to keep, you know, your inspiration and passion alive along the the way. So there's like the technical part. And then there's also the, you know, more artistic part of it. Um, it sounds like you did a really good job of managing those things and still like maintaining your sanity, which is good. Um, so, so related to that, because, um, you know, it's clear that you had and continue to have a lot of passion for your book. Why do you see your book as being important? And what's the specific impact that you're trying to make by putting this work out into the world? Well, I mean, I think as Seth talked about just just having a tool for practitioners to be able to talk about what we do in simple terms. Um, and even if they would choose different terms or talk about different parts of the field, because we only, you know, we, I shouldn't say only, but we touch on five areas of organizational psych and there's, there's many, um, just, just having that I think is, is valuable in itself. But I mean, in a, in a broader sense, I think sensitizing people or making them aware that, and especially children, that there are there are people out there whose jobs it is to make work better and to make the quality of our lives better. And you know, the more the more we aware we are of those resources, the more we're gonna start asking for and expecting those resources. And you know, not only does that create jobs for consultants, but it also, you know, makes the quality of everybody's life better. And that's, you know, that's the great uh social program where <laughs> we're uh we got going on right now. So I think that's a, a worthy cause. One statistic I heard when I first started getting into the field that I found so surprising and it's been, it really drives me is that we spend majority of our waking hours doing work. So for me, I thought if people spend majority of their waking hours at work or doing work as organizational psychologists, we have the ability to meaningfully impact people's lives. And I think that a lot of people don't know about the field. Visibility is an issue. And this is just one way that Blake and I are trying to tackle that issue and just get the name out there and start gaining more awareness about the positive work that we can actually do. Uh, I, I don't mean to slander any any academic work or any journal articles here, but um, you know, someone can write a journal article about the importance of this, and it is important, and it's important for that community to understand it. But you know, what are the odds that it's going to leave the community? So I think we're trying to also do something that might have a broader appeal outside of just our field. A hundred percent. And I mean, Katina and I definitely relate to that since everything behind worker being is to get workplace wellness right. research into the hands of everybody. And so we totally agree that there's a lack of um, translation from what we do to the common person that you know, maybe hasn't been exposed to the field in any way. So we want to make sure that this information, what we do, the field itself, and then obviously the research in the field can get into people's hands to actually use effectively. So I really appreciate what you're doing. Um, I think when we first started talking, I told you that I um, am giving my mom the book <laughs> so she can read it and understand what I do um, because I think she still gets confused and 
the way everything is laid out in the book is so simple and so easy to understand. So I really, really love it. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about diversity and inclusion. So we know that's really positive for work environments. And we also know that that's an interest of yours as well. So how did you tackle diversity in your book? And why was that important to you? Yes, a phenomenal question. This topic is so important for work, and it's certainly a value that both Blake and I hold. Uh, when I first started brainstorming this book idea, and I had a couple initial conversations with Blake, one of the things I said is I wanted to represent diversity in the book, and in a few ways. And during our phone call, he said, absolutely, that's a must, we'll make it happen. And that made me gain more confidence. Like this is going to be a good partnership. He's the perfect person to do this with. And I think diversity for us meant a few things. So it was really important for us to represent people from different racial and cultural backgrounds. We also wanted to break some gender stereotypes. So in our book, we have the dad of the main character, Walter, in the kitchen cooking breakfast. And the person going to school and talking about their career is the mom. And so we try to just break some mini stereotypes like that. Another one we have in there is that when we talk about a fire person, we have a woman that's in the profession and she's actually the leader of the group in the book. And so I think we have this stereotype of a fire man, not always a fire woman or fire person. So we wanted to break some of those stereotypes. Uh, another one that was really, really meaningful to me is diversity and family structure. So not everybody has mommies and daddies. And in fact, I was raised primarily by my grandfather. So it was really important that although the main character does have a mommy and daddy, the other students in the group whose parents are represented are some uncles, a grandfather, and of course, some moms and dads. So it was really important that we just break some stereotypes and, and make sure to involve that and include that in our book. Yeah, and I mean like, the importance of that is that, you know, I want any kid who picks up the book to be able to read it and to be able to see themselves as belonging there. And I think, I think also, and this is, it's always, I always get so uncomfortable talking about race because I'm, because I'm white and because I'm a guy and because I'm straight and I'm tall and, you know, all, all those, those things that make life, um, I think a little bit easier. Um, you know, change is something attitudes and attitude change is something that is slow and it, you know, it happens over time, but you know, attitudes are formed by the media that we consume. And so thinking about, you know, as a creative person and as people that create media, you know, we wanted to create something that represented the world, maybe not as it is, but the world as we think it should be. And hopefully inspiring people and kind of nudging those, those attitudes a little bit closer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that idea. And I think it's really awesome that you took the time to think that through and to ensure that, as you said, anybody who picked it up could see themselves in it. I think that that's a really great focus, especially uh, with kids. You know, mo most of my research surrounds diversity and inclusion. So that's something mm -hmm. I'm really passionate about. Um, and, you know, a lot of our stereotypes form when we're young. Uh, mm -hmm. So anything that you can do to sort of combat those stereotypes is is great. Um, so I'm really happy, and I know Patricia's really happy that you wrote this book um, and that you uh, wrote it in the way that you did and illustrated it in the way that you did. Um, is there anything else that you think that our listeners should know about you or the book uh, before we turn it over into our final fun question for you? 
Mm, that's a good question. I mean, I think the, the part that's really important for us is this is a children's book, but we fully intend for it to be for audience of all ages. So I love that you say you're going to give it to my mom. I've given one to my grandma. I've given one to my best friend. Um, everybody needs to know what we do because we have the, we have the potential to impact their work and the life that they live. And so it is a children's book, but I want everyone to read it. And I mean, the illustrations are not, uh, <laughs> not unengaging as well. So I think there's a, <laughs> it's, got an it's an aesthetic quality too, that I think uh, people would appreciate. Yes. <laughs> definitely agree with that i definitely agree with that i love the illustrations and the story is just such a great book so we're really excited um we'll obviously link to that for all of our listeners if you want to check it out um but our final fun question so i'm gonna ask both of you to answer this what was your favorite book growing up so i was i was a dark little kid um i really liked (laughs) the it was a, a three three book series called scary stories to tell in the dark by Alvin Schwartz and Stephen Gamble was the illustrator. Yes, Do you I remember had that. Mm-hmm. I like had it. Super creepy, like really scary, creepy, <laughs> dark um, pen, pen and ink and watercolor pictures. And I should think I got banned in a number of places because it was, you know, it's it's a story that just tells a lot of folk ghost stories. But um, the illustrations were just so good and so scary that I think it was a lot for a lot of kids. But uh, Perfect for me. So <laughs> that was probably my favorite favorite children's al- book. Yeah. I also liked it, Blake, so don't feel weird. I had it. I liked it. And um, it, in some ways, it did, like, terrify me a little bit. But um, I also kind of enjoyed it. But, yeah, I agree. That's a good one. Yeah, my uh, favorite children's book, I think, is a book called The Giving Tree by Shel Silverstein. Uh, So if you're not familiar with the book, it follows a young boy who eventually becomes an elderly man and a tree. And essentially what the book is about is this boy relies on this tree and he takes from the tree what he needs as he's going through stages of life. And the tree, the giving tree, is okay with it. The tree wants to give everything they can to help this person. Um, At the time, as a child, I just loved the illustrations and I thought it was a really cute story. But in hindsight, it has so much meaning to it. I mean, I think people can take the perspective of mother nature and how we're taking. I think people can take the perspective of a parent-child relationship and how the child relies on that parent and takes what they need in order to become an adult themselves. So there's many ways you can think about it. But I think what I mostly took away from this book is that I want to be someone who gives and takes. I think any healthy relationship is a give and take kind of partnership. And I think that I want to give something of value to people, to the community, to this world. I think I'm still always navigating what exactly that looks like and what that means. But being a giving person and leaving something behind that's meaningful is really important to me. Um, and so I hope that Blake and I are making that contribution through this book, like to our field and to the community, just getting the visibility out there. So that is my ideal hope. That's awesome. Maybe, I... maybe your next book can be uh, scary stories about organizational <laughs> psychologists. I have some notes. <laughs> Oh, that's, that's a good one, Katina. Yeah, I love that. And I really love that 
Um, I mean, you have both have such great examples for your books, and I can just imagine that one day maybe there'll be a kid that will be on a podcast or whatever <laughs> is going to happen in 20, 30 years, and we'll say that your books are favorite. Oh, I hope so. Um, that's the dream. <laughs> I love it. Actually, it's interesting. <laughs> well, to I love say it. That. So a there's that. Um, showed me a video of their young cousin on Zoom with their class and their teacher. And she's holding up the book, asking the teacher, can you read this to the class? Can you read this to the class? And the teacher says, well, yeah, maybe I can read it. You know, I, I need to learn what an organizational psychologist does. I need to get my life organized. And immediately thought, yes, you need to read this book. That's not necessarily what we do. Please read this book. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> well, thank you both for joining us. We really appreciate your time. We really appreciate what you've done with this book. Uh, we think it's amazing. We think it's really important to get um, more notice, more attention on the field that can make such an impact on people's work and lives. Um, so thank you for writing it, illustrating it, and being a part of this podcast. Thank you so much for having us. I, this is really fun. Appreciate yes, it. Thank you. It's been a joy. And I hope one day someone references the, this book as their favorite book growing up. That is the goal. <laughs> Me too. Well, thank you. Thank you so much to Blake and Sevelyn for joining us today. We thought they had great content to share with us. We're super excited about their book. If you couldn't tell, we really, really, truly are excited about the book. It's amazing. It really breaks down organizational psychology in a very simple way, um, really easy to use. And it's such a cute visual book for children, too. I mean, everything about it. I love it. Anyways, there's links to them in our show notes. If you want to find more about their book, you can go to mymommyisanorganizationalpsychologist.com. Um, and as always, we'd love to hear from you. So please reach out to us. You can find us at workerbeing.com, email us at contact at workerbeing.com and find us on social at workerbeing on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks for listening. The Worker Being Podcast is hosted by us, Patricia Grabar and Katina Sawyer and produced by Allie Johnson.